Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, that's like my introduction right there. They stole it. But I wanted to say thank you today to every one of you that are serving anywhere in the church. Thank you, whether you've been serving for 20 years or you've just been serving for 20 minutes. Uh, just we want to thank you. And if you're looking for a place to serve, we want you to know there is so much opportunity. One thing is I have traveled I'm in easily 100 different churches. One of the things I've never heard a pastor say is, oh, we just have too many people serving. And in fact, it is just the opposite that you hear again and again and again. Man, if we had more people, then we could. We would be able to. Uh, Jesus to his disciples said, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, you may have never thought about this because we sometimes look back and think, boy, if I had just been around when Jesus was here, I would have liked to have partaken of his ministry. But Jesus has a present day ministry. Jesus is doing three things today. Did you know that? Three things. The Bible says he's ever living to make intercession for us. One. The Bible says he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Two. And he is building the church. Three. That's what he's doing. He is building the church. And when you and I get involved with the church, we get involved in what Jesus is involved in. In fact, in Ephesians 1 verse 23, it says, the church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church, which is his body. In other words, the world looks at things around and thinks, man, that church bunch, you know, who really cares what they do? They're just kind of on the outside. They're on the peripheral. And may they do whatever they want to do, just keep their nose out of our business. But when God looks at the world, what he does is he sees the center of his activity in the church. Anybody else want to say yes? Yes, okay. It's true. When God looks at the world, he said, the way I am invading the world is through the church. And what Jesus is building is the church. And the kingdom of God is to be experienced and expressed in and through the church. Jesus is building the church. Now, we're talking about Jesus making disciples. He said, go into all the world and make disciples disciples. When you receive Jesus, you become a Christian, you become a believer, and you start on a journey to become a disciple because you make a disciple. Just like you make a cake, it's a process. There is a process to becoming a disciple. And too often, we don't really get involved in that process. We just sit back and we are consumers. I just call it consumer Christianity where all you want to do is bless me, help me, meet my needs, my, my desires, my feelings. It's all, about, it's all about me. How many of you realize Christianity is not about thee? It's not about me. It's about him and it's about his kingdom. 
And we're called to be disciples. We're called to serve. Jesus said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve. And that ought to be our attitude in life and especially in church in the kingdom of God. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need to have a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 says, don't let your enthusiasm wane. Be spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. In other words, when you and I do not begin to serve, when we're just consumers, the Bible says that our spiritual life enthusiasm is going to begin to wane. Because the truth is you were created to serve. Now, you have a career to support your life. But your purpose, what you were created for, is to serve. And to serve in the kingdom of God. You, me, every one of us. Uh, I'm going to guess about 25 years ago when this happened. Uh, we were, we were, our, our, our building was over on 44th Street. We had a pool barn where the adults met and a separate pool barn, uh, really nice. Now, they were nice pool barns, all right, but they were pool barns. And the separate building where the children met. And, and believe it or not, we had an ice storm. Can you imagine that in Michigan? We had a nice storm and the custodial staff, they got there in the morning and they took really good care of the adult building and scraped ice and put down salt. And they went over to the, the, the children's building. And I don't know what happened, but I believe they didn't get everything done. And they had actually taken a huge bucket and left a huge bucket there full of salt. Literally, hundreds of people went in and out and in and out and Lisa, you may remember this. You fell and broke your leg. She's going, yep, I remember. She fell and broke her leg and, and that was not good. And, and it got an infection in it. And she's shaking her head and they were actually talking about amputating her leg. Uh, you know, we prayed God was gracious. That did not happen. But I remember thinking, do you know, hundreds of people went in and out and anybody can take a handful of salt. Anybody could, but nobody did. Nobody did. And, and the result was a, a, a broken leg and, and some heartache that, that went with that. Uh, it wasn't but a couple months later, we were, having, we were Sunday morning service, and uh, we had four sections of pews at, at the time. And in the far section, like six rows back, I can still see this guy. And it's during worship, and he's like going crazy. Now, how many of you know people, some people express themselves differently in worship? But this guy, he was going like this and kind of like throwing stuff and making noise. And he wasn't really singing. And he was going around and I'm just looking at him thinking, wow, you know, he must be really into this. And like I said, different people do different things. And, you know, whatever, whatever, you, you know, however you connect, uh, you know, I had been talking very recently then to somebody and, and uh, they told me that in services they were weaving glory clouds. And I said, really? 
you know, and just, I just let them go, you know. So I just figured, well, who knows what this person's up to, you know. Well, it was fine during the praise and worship, but when I got up to start to preach, he kept going. Now he's sitting down, but he's still doing stuff and, ooh, and he's talking and people are looking at him. So I start talking louder and I start talking faster. In fact, I'm talking really fast the whole time. And while I'm preaching my sermon, I don't even let a second pass with a silence because I don't want everybody to look at him. Because if I'm silent for even a second, everybody's looking at this guy and I don't want them looking at this guy. I want them to hear what I'm saying. They need to hear the sermon. When it came to the altar call, I had to go really faster in the altar call because I couldn't let this guy talk. But people are going to hear him and everybody's looking at him and I'm trying to keep everybody's attention. So I'm talking really fast the whole time and the whole time that I'm preaching, I'm thinking, why doesn't somebody go over there and talk to that guy? In fact, why doesn't somebody go over there and put some duct tape on that guy's mouth right now? Why can't somebody take that guy out of the service? Why doesn't somebody do something? The whole time I'm just talking really fast. We finally get done. And I'm tired. I've been talking fast. And here come a bunch of the ushers. And this is, listen, this is serious. This is what they say. Is it, Pastor, did you notice the guy? I'm serious. That's what they said. Did you notice the guy? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I noticed. And they, they was, listen, they said, they said, Pastor, we thought maybe we should go over there and talk to him. And I, and I literally, I, I said to them, whenever in doubt, do it. <laughs> and literally, they leave. Here come some ushers, excuse me, ushers, some deacons and a couple of the elders and they said the same thing and they said, you know, we, saw, we thought that guy might be interrupting you. And we thought about, do, do you know what disciples do? Disciples take ownership. Leaders take ownership. Anybody can throw some salt. Anybody could have gone over there and said, hey, you need to be quiet. And if you can't, I'll take you in the back and you can talk with me. But here's what we ended up finding out. The guy was a Satanist. And he was trying to cast spells. And they told me that, and I said, I don't care. Somebody says, aren't you afraid? No, the Bible says in Numbers, there is no divination against Israel. There is no enchantment. There is no spell that anybody can try to throw on you that's going to make any difference. I was just upset that he ruined my whole sermon. <laughs> Keeping people from getting saved. You know, we, we talk... And, and this isn't wrong to do this, but we talk about volunteering. And actually, it is not a New Testament word. It's a, it's a secular word, and it has secular values and a secular disposition. In, in, in New Testament terms, what we do is we serve. We serve. We, we become servants. Again, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, to serve. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, he said, you need to serve. You need to serve. Now, I want you to, to grasp this. I, I, I've read this scripture before, but, but I want you to really grab hold of this. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do the good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us. Taking paths which he prepared ahead of time for us, that we should walk in them. In other words, God has prepared paths for every believer. He's prepared good works for every single believer. 
And again, you have a career that you use to sustain yourself, but your purpose is to serve. Your purpose is to serve in the kingdom of God. And, and literally, we all begin as volunteers. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to be on a journey where we end up as disciples and servants, where we're loving, where we're serving, where we're adding value, where we're building the kingdom of God, doing the things that we were created to do. Jesus said, so let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, there is a passage in the book of James I've read so many times, but, but for 30 years, I misread it. And I want to read this, this passage to you, and uh, you, you have probably made the same mistake I made. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. I read word in there in my mind for like 30 years. But it's not a doer of the word. It's a doer of the. That's like a four letter bad word. A doer of the what? Of the work. Of the work. You see, the Bible calls working, serving in the kingdom, it, it, it is literally called kingdom work. That we do, if we don't, are not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So often we think, that we're doing God a favor getting saved and we get in the kingdom of God and it's God's duty to make us happy and to meet every one of our needs that he's some kind of a cosmic bellhop. And he's just there, he and Jesus and a whole bunch of angels are just there to get us everything that we need and everything that we want and everything that we feel like would, would, would help us in some way. But the truth is that we are called to serve. We're called to be doers of the work. You see, you were saved from sin, but you were saved to good works. S giving, sacrificing, serving, building the kingdom of God. Now, we can have a wrong attitude even when we're doing the right thing. You know, we can have the attitude, well, you're just lucky I'm here. You don't treat me right, I'm gone. How I many you know that's not a servant's attitude? And we really find out what our attitude is when things don't go the way we want them to go. As long as everything's going just right, you don't know what your attitude is. But you find out what your attitude is when things aren't going exactly the way that you'd like them to go. Again, we have a career that supplies for our needs, but there's a purpose. There's a purpose. You know, I'm here today and really this is my job. But tomorrow night, I'll be at the homeless shelter downtown and I'll be there to serve. What can I do? How can I help? I've got no demands. The only thing I want to do is serve. 
Paul and Peter make this statement. Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Peter says, Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in scriptural days and even not so long ago, a few hundred years ago, but in scriptural days, if you got in debt, what you did was you became a servant for six years. You, you had debts you couldn't pay, and so you would sell yourself, and you would serve someone for six years. In fact, when uh, the United States, literally even before we were a nation, even in the beginning of our nation, people wanted to come from Europe to the United States, didn't have enough money to do it. And so what they would do, someone in the States would pay their way over, and they would be an indentured servant for how long? Six years. So in, old, in, in Bible times, Old Testament times, you got in debt, you couldn't pay your debt, someone would pay your debt, and you would be an indentured servant for six years. At the end of those six years, if you said, I love my master, I, I love everything that's going on here, and I want to serve my master, they would take you over to a door, and they would take a nail, a large nail, and they'd put your earlobe up against that door, and they would put that nail right through your earlobe. And at that point, you became a bond servant. You weren't there because of a debt. You were there because you wanted to be there. In fact, the actual wording in the Old Testament is because I love my master. You know what Peter wrote? He said, Peter, a bond servant. I'm not serving God because I have to. I'm serving him because I love him and I want to. Paul wrote, Paul, a bond servant. I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. As a, when, when we become a servant, we lose the right to be selfish. We got to think of others and not ourselves. We put aside our personal agenda. And we're there serving because we want to build the kingdom of God. You know, when, as, a, as a disciple, we're, we're, we're to partake in what Jesus is doing. He is building the church. And we're there to serve. It's more about giving than it is about getting. And it's not an issue about it, well, it's too loud, it's too soft, it's too hot, it's too cold. I don't like the color of the carpet. I hate it when they put the flag up there. I don't like the way somebody's dressing. I wish we did more contemporary. I wish we did more uh, traditional music. No, 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 no. Our heart is to serve. Our heart's to serve. We can use our gifts and our talent to influence people, to show them God's love and to help others receive. I love what Mother Teresa said. She would tell the, tell the people that worked with her again and again. She would say, don't serve a meal with your hands. Serve the meal with your heart. And don't clean off a table with your hands. Clean off the table with your heart. How many of you know being a servant's an attitude? You can do the exact same thing with different attitudes. But the servant is there to advance the kingdom. How can I help? What can I do to build the kingdom? What can I do to make 
somebody's coming more, more agreeable. Make them know that they're loved, that they're appreciated, that they're accepted, that we esteem them, that we value them, and we want to lift them. Volunteering is just an action. But serving is an attitude of your heart. With a volunteer, it can be what I did and how I did it and how long I've been doing it. But a servant is there to sacrifice. They're there to sacrifice. Now, it's not a real common thought today in the church. But Paul wrote this. He said that, that I might have a part in the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Now, here's what you know and I know and every theologian knows. Jesus paid everything for our salvation, right? On the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection, he paid for our salvation. In fact, Hebrews 10 says it like this. It says there was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And through that single sacrifice, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. You cannot earn your salvation. He did it all. But Paul talked about the fellowship of his suffering. He talked about what does it cost us to follow Jesus? What does it cost us to, be, to, to live a righteous and godly life? It's suffering for the kingdom's sake, for righteousness' sake, for his name's sake. It's, it's doing the inconvenient things, and it's, it's sacrificing. And when we do, we become a part in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's what we do to build the kingdom of God and the inconvenience and what it costs. And let me just say something. Little things can make a huge difference. Little things can make a huge difference. How many of you realize that huge doors swing on small hinges? It should just be a little thing. And I just wanted to, 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 to use a story from history to illustrate this. I want to talk to you about Napoleon's victory at Waterloo. And you say, no, you got it wrong. Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. And of course, you're right. But he was only defeated after he had won. So let me give you a little bit of the story. In February of 1815, Napoleon flees from Elba, where the, he'd been exiled by the Allies. And he gets into France, and he puts together an army very quickly. Many of his former generals are dead or had switched alliances. But he believed himself capable of independent command. After all, he was a military genius, or so everybody had told him. And amazingly, after several months of campaign, it appeared Napoleon's view of himself was quite accurate until the 18th of June. Wellington's forces are up on a hill. And it's always harder when you're attacking and you're going uphill. In fact, one of Napoleon's leaders worried aloud about Wellington's strong position, being situated on the high ground. And the emperor said, and I quote, it doesn't matter where Wellington chooses to fight. We have no possibility of defeat, end of quote. Napoleon had 72,000 men and Wellington had 67,000. But Napoleon had 246 cannons, and Wellington had 156 cannons. 
the emperor turned to his next in command, and this is what he said. He said, if my orders are well executed, we will sleep in Brussels tomorrow. And all the next day, wave after wave of Napoleon's forces went against Wellington's forces. And by mid-afternoon, Napoleon saw his chance. He realized that in a mounted attack with his 5,000 mounted men, if they could take all of the artillery that the, the uh, allied forces had, and that would turn the entire battle. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They attacked and they got possession of all of the allied cannons. Now this is where the story gets interesting. What they normally would do is they would spike the cannons, which simply meant that they would take a large nail and drive it down and it could not be used again. It could never be used against them. But in all of the confusion in the morning, a number of privates had said, where are the nails? Where are the nails? And they were ignored. And they took the position without the nails. Wellington regrouped, recharged, after literally they had lost the battle, and retook the cannons, turned them back on the French, and the rest is history. The rest is history. It's the, 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 water, the, the Waterloo for Napoleon, not for Wellington. But if it had just been for a handful of nails, we would be talking about Wellington's Waterloo instead of Napoleon's Waterloo. Handful of nails changed history. And let me just tell you that your hands and your feet and your voice can change spiritual history. Somebody's life can be touched because of something that you say or something that you do. We can just have somebody not show up to, to minister in nursery and children don't get in nursery and somebody who visits their kids don't get in and they go home and instead of getting saved. A heartfelt smile welcoming somebody can open somebody's heart. You know, it's a proven fact that people decide whether they love a church or not before the pastor ever says a word. It's how they're welcomed. It's how they feel in the praise and worship. Sharing your story can change somebody's life. Just taking somebody's hand and praying a prayer can change somebody's eternal destiny. Picking somebody up and bringing them to church can literally change their eternal destiny. It doesn't take a big thing. It can be a very small thing that has an eternal consequence. Volunteers focus on what they give, their time and their energy. But servants focus on what Jesus gave. It's a big difference. I'm sacrificing, I'm giving, or looking at what Jesus gave. There's a, a true story about the Moravian revival that took place 18th century in what is now part of Germany in a little town called Hermhut. Two young men in their early 20s heard about a British landowner in the West Indies who had nearly 3,000 slaves. And this man was an atheist, and he said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he shipwrecks, 
will keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he is never going to talk to anybody on this island about God and bring all that nonsense. Nearly 3,000 slaves are on that island and had never heard the gospel. Those two young men heard about it and they sold themselves as slaves to that British landowner. The community of Hermut got together as they were, and they put them on the ship, sending them off to the, the West Indies. And these men were going to be slaves for the rest of their lives. And they sold themselves gladly. Now, as the ship is beginning to, to leave the harbor, just as it leaves the dock, many of the people from their community are waving, they're crying, they're singing. And the two young men, they join arms and they shout and they say that the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering. That the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering. Now, here's what they understood. That for Jesus to receive his reward was going to cost them something. It was going to cost them something. And they decided that they would serve God by becoming slaves for the rest of their lives. And that, that cry that the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering, it literally became the battle cry of the, the entire Moravian revival. Volunteers keep succor, but servants make sacrifices. Servants make sacrifices. You realize I'm here to sacrifice. I, I'm here to take up my cross daily. I'm here not because it's convenient, not because it's glorious, I'll do whatever needs to be done, even if it's behind the scenes without recognition. I don't need to be appreciated because I'm doing this because of everything that Jesus has done for me. Listen, disciples do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. They aren't looking for recognition. Volunteers are time sensitive, but servants are need sensitive. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and the man is beaten up and left on the side of the road half dead. And a Levite and a priest come by, but they don't have time. They don't have time to help. But then the Samaritan comes by and takes care of his wounds and puts him on his donkey and brings him to the hotel and takes care of him and pays for the night and then gives two more days wages and says, take care of this man. See, servants will be inconvenienced. If you're looking for the perfect time to serve, you will never find it. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. If you're looking for the, the right time to serve, I, I'm just going to tell you there's going to be nice Sundays that are 80 degrees and sunny. And you're going to say, oh, I want to go to the beach. I want to do this. I want to do that. There's always going to be something else to demand our time. In fact, Jesus told the story. And, and, and he's talking about God. And he, he talks about this king. And he says he invites people to his feast. But one said, hey, I can't come. I just bought some land. Another says, I can't come. I just bought some yoke of oxen. I need to try them out. And another says, I can't come because I've got family stuff and I just got married. And, and Jesus said, none of those that were invited are going to come. And he said, go out into the highways and the byways. He said, and invite everybody to come in. You know, it, there, there's never a perfect 
time. We can think, well, you know, when I'm older, when the kids are gone, when the business is doing better, when I retire. But the truth is, we need to start today. And we need to have the same attitude that we find in the Bible. But we want to partake in the fellowship of his suffering to build the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.